Morning, everybody. I invite you to take your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 21 to 26 this morning. Tremendously important portion of Scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. I'd like to read it, pray over it, and then dive in. It's page 913 if you're using a Bible there in front of you. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize and build and acknowledge that built into our our very nature is the longing to be acceptable, to have the verdict that we're, that we meet the mark, that we've made the grade. And God, we, we know that that is one of the clearest evidences of the, of the fall, of sin. And Lord, we pray this morning as we reflect on this passage that you might teach us and we might be stunned anew with what it means that Jesus came for us, lived his life for us, died his death for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I read an article recently that was written by a number of world historians, and they were basically debating and actually came to some consensus over what they felt were the 10 most world-changing events of human history. Um, Though a surprise to most Philadelphia area residents, the 52nd Super Bowl was not on the list. <laughs> Disappointment to all of us. However, the fall of the Roman Empire in the 5th century was. The Black Death, the plague of the 14th century was where as many as 50% of the population of Europe died uh, in that. It changed the entire feudal system because now... Lords on the manors who had all their serfs, so many of the workforce was killed, they now had to uh, contend against others and actually had to start paying. Uh, it changed the entire system, um, one positive byproduct of an astonishingly horrific um, malady that, that hit world civilization. The Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, where communism for the first time took hold in a world power was on there. A couple were American, the American Revolution. 9-11 was on there, the beginning of the war on uh, the global war on terrorism. Paul here in Romans 3, verse 21, is presenting what the Bible says is the most transforming moment in human history. It's a mouthful. It is a passage that has been called by many Bible students as the central passage not only in the book of Romans, not only in the New Testament, but in the entire Word of God. Because in it, 
is presented the way that human beings can be acceptable to God. And in it, Paul is talking about this is the way things have been then. And now all of a sudden we have this but now moment. And he's talking about how people can be accepted and acceptable into a relationship with God that leads into an eternal state with God in the new heavens and new earth. In this passage, he's talking about the criteria for acceptance, and he tells us some things. He tells us, first of all, we're going to look at three things this morning. First of all, the criteria for acceptance will never be altered by God. The criteria has never changed. Secondly, the criteria for acceptance has never been attained by humans on their own. And third, the criteria for acceptance is now available in Christ. The criteria for acceptance will never be altered by God. He begins in verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. He says the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament was looking to this and, and talking about this, this but now moment that would come when righteousness would be available in a different way. Now, a couple of things are important for definition. Righteousness. Righteousness, uh, righteous deeds are deeds where you are doing the right thing, and God is the definer of the right thing, and he's saying you're doing the right things, all of the right things, complete righteousness. You are, you are doing the right things, living the right way, responding the right way, thinking the right way, speaking the right way, acting the right way. A righteous man is a guy who does the right things. Righteousness is actually a condition. It is the state of having done what is right. If I can elaborate on this, the way he is using the word righteousness is basically talking about a validating performance record which opens doors, okay? A validating performance record which opens doors. We operate on this arena all the time in life. We're constantly operating on trying to have a validating performance record which will open doors for us. When you apply to college, you are asked to provide a validating performance record. It's called a report card, your grades, your standing in your class, various things that show your validating performance record that you hope will open doors to that school. When you go to a job and you want to get a job, what you do is you get out your resume, which is a validating performance record that you hope will open doors. It's about your past uh, education, your job experience. All of that matters because it is validating your capacity, your acceptability, if you will, to do the job that they are anticipating you will do. When you want to get a mortgage, you get out your credit history. When you want to go to grad school, you get out your undergrad work. You are we are constantly, and every culture has validating performance records that open doors. They have different ones, but every culture has validating performance records that are required. Righteousness is the standard of acceptance with God that enables you to enter into a relationship with Him forever. It is the word justify, which is talked about in this passage, is from the same root word as righteous. Justify is the verb form. And to justify, it literally means to declare righteous. And Paul, in chapters 1 through 3, is talking about how do you get this verdict that you've made the cut? 
that you can come through the door, that you, can, you are worthy, that you are acceptable. How do you get that, that qualifying declaration, the verdict that you are, in fact, righteous? He's been talking about this here. And he's talking about how to be accepted as God's child, to be in relationship with God, to go to heaven, to live with God in the new heavens and new earth. What is the standard of acceptance? And what it is, is complete righteousness. It's not partial righteousness. Now, now to us, in, in our human thinking, this is somewhat of an aberrant comment, a con- concept. The idea that, come on, man, everything's graded on a curve. I mean, I mean... You're talking about total, complete righteousness, and you're saying righteousness is always doing right? That's what he says, that he is saying the standard is complete righteousness. It is not based on a curve. It's not compared to your neighbor or your spouse or your your parents. It is total righteousness. And he's saying that to have Entrance to heaven to get through the doors, you've got to have a validating performance record of complete righteousness. The second thing we find, and this probably won't surprise us, the criteria for acceptance has never been attained by humans on their own. He says this in verse 20, 22. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glorious standard of God is the sense here. Now, he's been reciting this or, or, or developing this thought in Romans chapter 1 through 3. In Romans 1 verse 18, he says this, irreligious people are not righteous. Notice how he keeps using the word righteous. Here's what he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who have suppressed the truth about God, who did not honor him as God, who actually worshiped other things beside God. That there is a, a sense of that Irreligious people are unrighteous. They don't make the cut. He says in Romans 2, verse 13, religious people also are not righteous. For it is not the hearers of the Lord who are law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law that will be declared righteous. And he summarizes in chapter 3, verse 10, with this statement: No one is righteous. No, not one. Nobody makes the cut. And he summarizes then in Romans 3 verse 20, which is the, the apex moment, the, the climactic statement he's been building to through these three chapters. Here's what he says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, People don't realize how vital a concept this really is, how practical a concept this is. The fact that that everybody is living under the verdict that we have not made the cut, that we have not experienced righteousness. Adam and Eve experienced that in a very poignant moment when they turned away from God's one primary test for them, don't eat the forbidden fruit. They did eat. They rebelled against God. And you remember what happened? They immediately felt differently about themselves. They immediately says they were embarrassed to be in the presence of God. They immediately looked and they said, wait a minute, we're, we need to be clothed. We need to be protected. We need to, we need to shield ourselves. They immediately sensed, we feel naked. We feel ashamed. We feel unworthy. What happened? They were not living now in righteousness. 
They did not have a validating performance record, if you will. They sensed distance. Every part of our lives, which are so marked by this longing to validate ourselves, to, to be worthy. We see all of us have our spots where we want to be on the greater than side. I'm, I'm greater than them, so I'll, go, I'll hang with them because they make me feel better. But I don't want to, man, I don't want to work out with those people because I don't look like them. And so I'll, I'll work out with this people, or I won't go to the gym with mirrors. or I mean, I, it could be anything. It, it could be your job. It could be you don't have a girlfriend. It, 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 whatever it is that validates, we all have this sense, I need, I need to be worthy. I need to be acceptable. Where did that come from? As I've said before, your dog is not walking around saying, man, oh, man, that collie next door, he can catch that frisbee. I'll never be able to do that. So I don't want to play Frisbee anymore. Why? Because they're not living that way. They don't have that voice that's saying, you're not enough, you're not acceptable. We have that verdict. It's, it's what sin does. It's extremely practical. And so what has happened is the verdict has come. We don't have the validating performance record. We're all sort of trying to find something to be worthy, and, and so we're like the survivor episode. Living in a survivor episode, we want to try to convince God and everybody else that we're not the ones that should be thrown off the island. That's actually why I think the word religion is an interesting one. I've mentioned this before early in this series. The word religion was actually, it is, it is from Latin words, re, which means again, legia, which means bind or connect, that religion, even in pagan religions, was the idea of trying to reconnect, rebind people with God. There was a sense of distance. Now, those were preeminently in every religion in the world, but Christianity actually says that the way that we rebind with God, the way we reconnect with God is by earning our way, by being righteous enough, by doing enough acts of piety, doing enough acts of of, of contrition and sacrifice, but what the Bible says is that no one can earn their way. There is none righteous, no, not one. That what the law does is just point out your failures. It doesn't enable you to be connected. It's why Augustine in the fourth century said the word religion, it works. I mean, that is what Christianity is. It is teaching us how to be reconnected with God, but it's not by our works. It's what Paul is going to talk about in a moment. Paul has said in Romans 1 through 3 that we are unable to measure up on our own. No one will be righteous. The verdict of unacceptability, of unworthiness, of unrighteousness brands every human. And into this scenario. Paul says this is the way it's always been. That this is since sin entered the world, the human race, we've been trying to get our righteousness by being better and doing more and measuring up and it, and then he says this. But now, but now something's changed. It's not the standard that's changed. God doesn't all of a sudden decide, you know what? Maybe I will grade on a curve. Because nobody's making it. You know, the, the test was too hard. No. He says, now there's another way. And the third thing we find in the preeminent teaching of this passage is found 
in verse 22 and following, the criteria for acceptance is now available in Christ. It is attained by Christ. Verse 22, I'll read verse 21 and lead into it. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness comes from God. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What he's saying to us is there's a reason that Jesus Christ didn't leave heaven and show up one day on Golgotha's hill and die on the cross. That he lived his life for those years into his adulthood, into his 30s, for a specific, theologically pregnant reason. That Jesus Christ was fulfilling righteousness. It's why it says this in Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of salvation. That's really important. Notice what it says. He learned by experience of suffering obedience. Jesus Christ was given greater tests than any human being has ever experienced. His passion his, which is what the word suffering, his suffering, the extremity where he actually was in the garden and, and literally the agony, the, the horrific reality of what he was about to face in the crucifixion, the separation from the Father for the only time in eternity was so powerful to him in his humanness that he actually had blood drips going down. It said he sweated literal drops of blood. He was overwhelmed with it, and yet he still said, not my will, but yours be done. He passed the test. He fulfilled all righteousness. Theologian David Chapman of Covenant Theological Seminary says it this way, during his childhood, Jesus was not lacking in any godly character quality, but he was lacking in the full experience of having lived a perfect human life, obeying the Father in everything without sin. The lifelong perfect obedience of Jesus provides the basis for eternal salvation and for the ultimate perfection of those who respond in faith and obedience. It's a great scene in The Lord of the Rings where Frodo, who's one of the hobbit, little hobbit guys with furry feet, and his friend Sam are, are taking the ring of doom, uh, the, the ring of power to throw it in Mount Doom, the fire there to destroy it. And this, this ring has power. Anyone that wields it will become the most powerful person on earth, but it is more powerful than anyone's capacity to wield it. it they will be wielded by its power. And those that are wise recognize this. And Frodo and his sidekick Sam are captured by a good guy, Faramir, and his soldiers, and they've got him now in a, in a, a hidden cave, but they're prisoners, and he finds out that they have the ring of power. Now, his brother, who is his older brother, more powerful personality, uh, bigger, more dominant, the leader, the heir apparent for the whole throne of Gondor, he has learned about the ring, and he failed. He, he, he utterly uh, was consumed with lust for the ring and the power that it could bring him. He... he, he uh, rationalized it, that he would be using the ring to help his people, and it would be for Gondor, but it actually ate him up, and, and 
He actually tried to steal it from Frodo. Now it's the younger brother, Faramers, that are there. Less dominant personality, uh, always the second fiddle, even to the father. And he's got Frodo in this interesting moment. Uh, it's clear as, as he's there and uh, he's surrounded by his soldiers. There only the three of them hear what they're talking about, but he, he makes it clear to them, I can take this ring. I can wield it. I can make it mine. And in that moment, Sam's grabbing his little sword. It's like a little toy thing. And, and, um, and then he basically says, I resist. I will not take the ring. I will support you on your, your enterprise. I'll not believe the lie that I should use this ring to protect my people. I know I cannot handle it. And then he makes this statement. It's one of my favorite parts in all the trilogy. He says, I pass the test. What the Bible tells us is that Jesus Christ passed every test. Every, in the extremity of, of the passion, in the extremity of suffering to, to the degree that no human being has ever passed and been allowed to pass, Jesus Christ passed the test. He fulfilled all righteousness. Now, we know that Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died the death that we should have died that he bore sin on himself and received the, the sentence that was ours. It would take us eternity. He died the death. We should have died. That is called the atonement, and that's in this passage. That brought to us the potential for forgiveness, that we can find. We find forgiveness because Jesus died the death that we should have died. But forgiveness is not the entrance requirement to heaven. It, is not the ent it does not bring entrance into an eternal relationship with God. Forgiveness is not the validating proof. It is not the, the experience in our lives that causes us to find acceptability to God. Forgiveness is not the validating performance record which opens the door to heaven. Something else is. Righteousness is. You see, when you, if, if we look at this part of the cross, this part of the work of Jesus, he died the death that we should have died. He bore the punishment for our sins. We are forgiven. We're brought back to the same state that Adam and Eve were in before the fall. They had not yet sinned. It's a blank slate. You'd be brought back to a blank slate. But Adam and Eve were not living the fulfillment of complete righteousness. Forgiveness restores you to their state. But as Adam took his first faltering steps towards righteousness, given one prohibition from God, do not eat the forbidden fruit, he ate it. He did not fulfill righteousness. He barely traveled its path. You can be forgiven for all your sins. You can have a blank slate. You can be like Adam and Eve were. But that is not what justification is. Now, there are some people that argue it is. I remember hearing the definition, of, I've often heard, the definition of justification, people like to say, it's a, just as if I never sinned. I would say to you, it's so much more than that. Justification is not you being returned to a state as if you didn't sin. 
Justification is more than that, infinitely more than that. You are not in the state, if you have embraced Christ and, be, and been reconciled to God through him, you are not in the state of pre-falled Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was not a man who had fulfilled righteousness. He did not have the performance record validating entrance into the doors of eternal relationship with God. What Jesus offers you is more than forgiveness. What Jesus offers you is righteousness. You see, he died the death we should have died. He also lived the life we should have lived. This is what justification offers us. On the basis of Jesus living the life, justification provides us with righteousness. We stand in the very righteousness of Christ. We stand with the very report card of Christ. We stand no longer denounced by our sin or our failures or, or even our lack of fulfilling righteousness. We're not just innocent. We're righteous in the sight of God. It's a staggering reality. It's, a, it's an overwhelming, mind-blowing picture of what God did through Jesus' life and that was made available to us through his death and resurrection. It's why Paul says, you know, this Romans 3.21, it's the, it's the foundation of everything. All of the book of Romans hangs on it. All the New Testament hangs on it. All the scriptures hang on it. And he says, then it was you trying to measure up. Then it was you trying to be righteous. But now you are declared righteous through the righteousness of Christ. The rest of the book, he, now, he keeps using the word now and saying, now this, now that. But it's all tied back to this moment in Romans 3.21. In Romans 6, verse 22, he says, But now, being free from sin, you've become servants of righteousness. Your whole, the whole direction of your life has changed. The whole trajectory of your life's different. Why? Because you stand accepted in the validating performance record of Christ. He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Now, we're free from the law. It doesn't condemn. It has nothing to say. We stand with the report card of Christ's own fulfilled righteousness. Romans 8, the staggering statement in verse 1. Now there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Why? Because we are declared righteous. We are declared acceptable. We stand in the righteous one's righteousness. He tells us then this. It's appropriated by faith. It said in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, that it is by faith in Jesus. He says it also back in chapter 1, verse 17. Here's what he says. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There was a professor of the Bible who had been a monk and actually was teaching still as a monk for 14 years. His name is Martin Luther back in the early 1500s. 
He had taught the book of Romans. He had taught the book of Psalms twice. He was actually in his second go-round through the book of Psalms. He had taught the book of Galatians. Um, he was a renowned Bible teacher. He was a zealous monk. Uh, he was famous for being the, the most pious in his order, and the Augustinian monks were the most sincere. They weren't like Friar Tuck, you know, of Robin Hood days, he, he, just sort of drinking merrily with the merry men. Uh, he was serious. He fasted more than anybody else. He, he, he did more acts of devotion than anybody else. He'd been to Italy and Rome and, had, and had, had crawled up on his knees the steps in Rome to the cathedral as a way of, of contrition. And yet, he still heard the verdict of unacceptability. And he came to Romans chapter 1, and he tells the story about it. He said, I had indeed been captivated with an extraordinary ardor for understanding Paul in the epistle of the Romans. A single word in chapter 1, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, talking about the gospel, stood in my way. I hated the word righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all my teachers, I had been taught to understand philosophically Regarding, it was regarding the formal or active righteousness of God, as they call it, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. He says, I saw it as when it talked about the righteousness of God is, is, is made known in the gospel. I heard it as God's righteousness, a righteousness belonging to God, and, and it was the basis of his judgment of people. But as he reflected on the phrase, he says in verse 17, it says, and it is ours by faith from first to last. He realized that the righteousness of God being referred to was not the fact that God shows, shows his righteousness, but rather that he offers righteousness to people who do not have a righteousness of, our own, of their own. He goes on to say, it is an alien, that's his term, an alien righteousness, someone else's righteousness that is applied to our account because we cannot be righteous in ourselves. He actually uses the term, he says, it, it is a righteousness outside of us, namely the righteousness of Christ, and he culminates, here's what he says at that moment. When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost, and the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. He saw that it was sola fide, faith alone, that he didn't bring his own works and that he was more zealous than the other guys, that he had crawled up with bloody knees on the cathedral at Rome. No, he said, I saw from first to last. It was wholehearted trust in Christ that it was his righteousness, his report card, his performance that had made possible for me a record of acceptability or the provided acceptability. He then says, Paul does here in verse 25 and 26, that this whole but now experience affirms the justice of God. He says this whole idea of the validating performance record being provided by Christ also makes known God's justice because he, he knew there was going to be a question. You know, Paul, you're talking about but now. 
And, 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 and then was then, and this is now, and because Jesus Christ has come and lived the life we couldn't live, and, and has died the death we, that we should have died, that, that now everything's changed. But what about the old boys? What about Moses? I mean, what about David? What about Ruth? What, what about those people? who seem to be people that loved you and knew you. I mean, where are they in this? I mean, they're in the then, not the but now. Look at what he says in, in these verses. He did this to demonstrate, verse 25 and 26, his justice, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed before unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so to be just, and the one who justifies those, meaning all those, who have faith in Jesus. He said those Old Testament saints, they knew they were not righteous. They recognized that they need a, righteous provi- a righteousness from somewhere else. And so they, they, they acknowledged that every time they, they sacrificed and did the sacrificial system. They constantly recognized. And though their sins at that time were not covered through the blood of Jesus, their faith in a provision that would one day come enabled them also to share, even though they were in the then days, their faith was looking towards a provision that would be found outside of themselves. They were not saved by keeping the law. They were not saved by being good. They didn't measure up any farther than others measure up in, in, a, in a performance record a validating performance record that would open the door to relationship with God. They too saw a provision that would be made, and God did not bring sentence upon them. He rather looked at them as looking towards the provision that would one day come. God's standard of acceptability has always been the same. It is total righteousness. There is one who has lived totally righteously. He came to do it. He came to live the life that we should have lived, that it could be applied to our account. That is why the cross is, first of all, our sin being laid on Christ, that he became liable for our sins. And it is Christ, as we by faith embrace him, that lays his righteousness to our account. We become liable for his righteousness. He's validating record And performance is the one that we are judged on if we are in Christ. It is the one that has been given to our account. It is so much more than just as if you never sinned. It is is as if you have lived fully, righteously, that you stand in Christ. Maybe God has you here or watching online right now because this is his but now moment for you. Maybe you're here and, and, and God the Holy Spirit is just speaking into your life, and if he is, you know it, and saying, this is what you're hungering for. You know you're a sinner. You know you can't measure up. You've been trying, to, but you, there's just distance. There, there's a sense that you're unworthy, that you don't measure up. Jesus Christ came to live the life that you can't live. He came to die a death that you should have died. He did all of that, that you could have the verdict of acceptability, to have a relationship with God forever. Maybe you're here. You say, well, I never really, I, you know, I don't, I haven't really thought about my sin so much. But you know your life is driven 
by being acceptable. You live your life on the grid of the greater than. Every day, you're trying to be in places or, or, or find things that make you feel better. And, 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 and just in some area, you're a greater than and less than. Can I honestly say to you, with all of my heart, I believe what is driving that is the lack of living in the reality of the verdict of acceptability that is found in Christ. This is astonishingly practical. This is what the cross and the life of Jesus are meant to speak into our life. And maybe you never thought about it in a spiritual arena. Maybe you never thought about, yeah, I'm driven by my own desire to be somebody and to measure up. And you've never thought about that in the context of God. Everything is in the context of God in your life. Everything revolves around, and you may be looking at it measuring yourself with other people. Everything you're trying to pursue to define yourself with a measure of acceptability is ultimately a displacement for the verdict that God is willing to give to say you are accepted in Christ. You're not on the line. You're not on the line. You're going to have to keep going back to that, reminding yourself of that. That's why the New Testament constantly takes us back there. But you first of all got to appropriate Christ as your own Savior, the one who becomes your life, who enters your heart, who fills that, that God-shaped vacuum that we try to fill with a thousand other things to, to feel acceptable and worthy and valuable. Jesus Christ came to live a life you can't live, that you should have lived. He came to die a death that you should have died. He came to give us righteousness. Lord, we ask you this morning to speak into our lives where you see our need. Lord, thank you for the, the but now. Many of us in this room look back to a moment in our lives where our lives were irrevocably changed by the grace of God. That we have now found acceptance through the work of Jesus Christ. We found forgiveness for our sins. We found righteousness. Lord, speak into lives today as you see their need, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed. Thank you.